Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Break with the World Championship now up and running in Sheffield. You'll get expert analysis and exclusive content while Snooker's finest fight it out at the Crucible. So subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode, we speak to the first man who made it through to the last 16. No, not Judd Trump, though we'll hear from him as well. But Kyron Wilson joins me on the show. And don't forget, it's Eurosport and Eurosport.com for all the live action from the Betfred World Snooker Championship all the way through to the 16th of August. I'm Rachel Casey and there's lots to talk about with the former world number three, Neil Foles and Eurosport commentator Dave Hendon. Dave, I know you have your own podcast, which is excellent, but it's uh, lovely to have you with us. It's nice to be a guest for once. (laughs) And how unique it has been already. My goodness, we have got so much to talk about. Absolutely. I mean, I think the bottom line for me is it's just nice that the World Championship is on. It's a little bit surreal. I was watching the walk-ons earlier. They were coming out to music. There was obviously no one to applaud them. But it's still the Crucible. It's still the World Championship. It's still going to be a great couple of weeks. Absolutely. And it's been a great couple of days already, Neil. And, you know, came out to, to no crowd today, yesterday. I was actually a little bit emotional, I have to say, with the fans, you know, the few that were there. And to see the players come out, the introductions, I thought Rob Boca was was brilliant um but then it was all quickly taken away from us yeah it was great to see spectators and hear applause when centuries were made and all those things we love and like you say then we had the bad news so uh, look with this pandemic really let's be honest whatever happens on a snooker table is not that important but from our point of view we, we wanted the world championships to be different but as dave said we're here and we're playing that's the main thing It is definitely going to be different. Let's talk about the main news coming out of the World Snooker Championship then over the last few days. Firstly, the enforced absence of crowds, as we've just touched on with the guys, the UK advice about uh, coronavirus changing. So after a small audience at the Crucible on day one, there are currently no fans allowed. The UK government were using the World Championship to pilot the return of indoor crowds amid the pandemic, although that didn't last very long. Here's what the World Snooker chairman Barry Hearn had to say about the change. Came out of the blue, but we have to we have to adjust. We always have plan A and plan B in our mind, and plan B is behind closed doors. There's the outside chance, maybe a bit skinny, that possibly for the final it may be relaxed. The decision's taken out of our hands, and we will always follow government guidelines. 
And Neil, I'll come to you first because Barry, is he's a great man at hiding disappointment and I think it actually probably went down as the performance of the day for me. I'd say he was livid, absolutely fuming. Yeah, and, um, you know, Barry very rarely takes a backward step, but I think even for Barry it was a crushing blow yesterday, but he'll always bounce back, dust himself down and move on. But, yes, he was quite outspoken, I thought, but I've known Barry a very long time, you know, and he's he's a steely businessman, but underneath it all, you know, and you've got to dig quite deep sometimes, he's got a good heart, and um, I think he's been disappointed with a few things, but he'll bounce back, you know, he's he's tough. (laughs) He's definitely that. Um, Talking about the, the pilot event, um, you know, I think it's disappointing for everyone involved, Dave, you know, the fact that we had a pilot event to find out if it's, if it's going to be safe. And the only way we're going to actually find that out is if the planned pilot can actually go ahead. But the fact that we got, what, a few hours for it to actually to be tested, to be tried after all that effort, I think it's, 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 it's awful. It is. And I feel sorry for the fans, actually, because for a lot of snooker fans, this is like a sort of annual holiday. They meet up with each other. It's one of the few major sporting events when we actually know the names of a lot of the spectators. You know, we get to meet them as well. They save their money up. They have their tickets. And when it was announced that, you know, reduced numbers could go in, quite a few of them snapped up the tickets. And now it's been taken away. Away from them again so it's a great shame all around I think it really is and um, you know even on social media and chatting to a couple of those fans that have been there you know the effort by everyone I think they were really impressed with the, the setup the situation they felt safe they were happy just delighted to be there but listen we're going to have to just roll on because uh, we have no fans that's it done and as a result of that we kind of go back to Anthony Hamilton because before all of that happened he has asthma. He withdrew from the championship. He had previously cited COVID-19 concerns with a limited audience due to be at the Crucible. But obviously things quickly changed and he was already withdrawn from the competition. Yeah, I mean, myself and Neil were at the qualifiers and we actually had a drink with Anthony after he qualified. And, and people saying he never intended to play, I think are completely wrong. There was no sign that he wasn't going to play. I think that he maybe didn't read through all the literature that he was sent before the qualifiers because he was just focused on playing. He did say that he had a friend who'd had the, the virus and who was a younger friend, you know, in his 30s, who was very ill from it. So he saw firsthand what it can do to you. And as you say, he's got asthma. So, you know, he's been extra careful. I guess it's sort of a strange irony now that maybe he could have played, although the first session would still have been in front of an audience. It's very difficult, isn't it? You know, these are unprecedented times. It's very easy to criticise him, I think, and attack him. But as I say, he's got these personal circumstances that have played a part. And at the end of the day, you know, your health is the most important thing. Absolutely. And I did actually ask Anthony Hamilton if he'd like to come on and and join us on the podcast podcast and he did decline Uh, however you know he did his own self-risk assessment and he decided to withdraw from the competition. Neil I think there are a lot of people that are perhaps suggesting and believing that Barry Hearn is is unsympathetic completely to Anthony's position saying it, it didn't sit well with him you know he said after the news came from the government that you know he's he's pulled out well done you know almost like he was very angry about it all. Yeah, he may well have done. I mean, as I said earlier, I've known him a long time. I mean, I can remember when I was one of the matchroom players and I wanted to miss out on two of the summer tournaments qualifiers for big events abroad. Um, I was not in a great place with things, nothing too serious, but I just didn't want to play. And, and I went over to his office with my dad and, and he just looked across. He said, you know, listen, if you want to pull out these tournaments, do so. But I don't really want anything more to do with you. Uh, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you play in the tournaments? Just go out there and do it. There's no, there's no reason why you need to pull out of these events. 
And he said, who knows, you might even get lucky, really lucky, and win a match in the qualifiers. <laughs> well, I was useless York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I was the world number three at the time. So, you know, if I was looking for sympathy, I was going to the wrong guy. But in a way, I respected him and, and actually did quite well in those events. But look, he expects everyone to... Um, Kick on and carry on. Do you think that um, he sees it maybe as a little bit of a weakness? The fact that Anthony didn't just kick on and carry on in a situation that was so different to the qualifiers that were held in a, in a bubble environment, Dave? Possibly. I mean, I think Barry works all day, every day, and expects everyone else to do the same. You know, he's come from pretty humble beginnings and made a great success of his life, and maybe he can't understand why people don't want to just throw themselves into every situation. But let's be honest, this is a, you know, a very grave situation. Anthony's got this friend who's been ill. He could be ill himself. He took the decision. And he wouldn't have taken it lightly. He hasn't played there for 12 years. He was looking forward to playing at the Crucible. It's a great shame that he didn't turn up. But, you know, it is what it is. And like you say, these are, these are changed times and we have to adapt to them. And indeed, and he has apologised to the players he beat in qualifying uh, just a few days earlier, Sam Craigie and Scott Donaldson. And he said that he had every intention of playing at the Crucible, but had reassessed all the health information advice. And of course, he, he pulls out. He still receives the £20,000 plus and the uh, ranking points uh, for qualifying. Look, we wish him the best. Hopefully it's a, a nice summer and I, I'm sure he'll be happy when we're not talking about it uh, anymore. But let's talk about what it might mean for Kyron Wilson. Great to get a bye, but will he be cold when he faces Maguire or Gould in the last 16? Yes, yeah, it's, it's obviously the strange times that we're in. Um, it's mad that I don't think anybody's ever received a bye out of the first round. Obviously, it's, it's not ideal. I was looking forward to obviously getting back into the swing of things and um, yeah, gearing up for, for the World Championships to begin. And obviously, I'm, I'm going to have to wait another week for that to happen for myself. But um, yeah, it's, it's just really strange times, isn't it? Were you shocked uh, that Anthony pulled out or did you understand his decision? A bit of both, to tell you the truth. Obviously, I think everybody's got their own sort of feelings and opinions. And, um, you know, I'm not going to start slaughtering Anthony. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a lovely guy and a great snooker player. I was really looking forward to playing him. I think he's got underlying health issues and with the whole coronavirus, um, you know, you've got to understand that he's trying to put his health first. Um, For me personally, you'd have to drag me off the floor to stop me from playing at the Crucible. I'd, I'd play there under any circumstances. But like I say, everyone's different and um, I respect him for his for his opinion. You'll be looking to get rolling early. Been a long time since you've played a proper match, Kyron. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the most important thing. Um, you just cannot replicate match practice and, and match sharpness. You obviously get that from playing in, in tournaments and we're used to playing week in, week out. Um, it's obviously been quite a long time since I've I've had any sort of match competition. So yeah, I, I was really disappointed to not be playing. I only found out probably 24 hours before. I've tried to get my head around it. I'm still in Sheffield. Um, I'm actually going today. I wanted to still feel like I was a part of the tournament and um, get a bit of a feel for how it's going to be. But um, yeah, home time for me today and uh, come back fresh next week. Uh, Kyron, what's it like up there? A very, very different crucible. I'm, I'm missing not being there, but I'd imagine it's a little bit eerie. It's really strange. Um, obviously, you're used to sort of coming out the backstage doors and there's fans waiting for autographs and stuff like that. And there's nobody here this year doing that sort of thing. You know, as you enter the crucible, you have to wash your hands and the face masks um, other than when you're practicing. And yeah, it's, it's just the times that we're in. But to tell you the truth, I'm just glad that we um, 
we have the World Championships to play in at all. You know, lots of big sporting events have been cancelled. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, we're lucky to have it on. Listen, Kyron, thank you so much for your time. I know that um, you're going to be very busy over the next week practising. That's what you'll be doing. And uh, the very best of luck next uh, Saturday. Thanks very much, Rachel. Take care. Well, it's unheard of uh, seeing a player get a a bye through to the second round and he's already in the last 16. We've seen situations in the past, uh, guys, where players have pulled out. Uh, Ronnie pulled out of the Masters. Ali Carter came in. Easy solution. But this time around, uh, there weren't any options but to give Kyron Wilson a bye or or were there? Well, people said um, they should put Anthony Hamilton back in, which was a non-starter, you know, withdrew. There was talk of a lucky loser. I know they do that in tennis, but it's not in the rules in snooker. You've just got to abide. Put him what... back in. You'd have to almost get a, a, a crane just to yeah. deliver him because we didn't have much time for him to, to come back, did Precisely, we? Precisely, exactly. But also, it's interesting listening to Kyron there saying, you know, he would never have withdrawn himself because... 2015 Shanghai Masters it coincided with his dad's I think 50th birthday and the family went off to Spain or somewhere like that on holiday to celebrate and he very came very close to pulling out of the tournament and going to join them he didn't pull out he went to Shanghai not in the best of spirits and he won the event that was his big breakthrough so actually you know he's flirted with the idea of not playing himself um, this is different of course it's the world championship yeah and of course it does happen in tennis but it wouldn't happen halfway through a tournament I mean we've played so many rounds at the beginning of Wimbledon you might get a lucky loser as Dave points out but he, he wouldn't at the last 32 allow someone in and that's where we're talking you know we're into the tournament already no one can replace him and um, as far as Kyron is concerned this is a long tournament I don't necessarily think it is as much of a hindrance as it could be. I mean, obviously, he'd like to have won his first-round match, but he goes straight into a 25-frame match, and you've still got to win a lot of matches, you know, four long matches to get through. So who knows? It might actually be the thing that helps him win the title this year. Yeah, I think it's, it's nonsense, like, oh, he would have preferred to have a first-round match. No way, surely not. No, I mean, look, he's, exactly, he's been handed, you know, the, the money and, and the week off. We talk about the 17-day marathon of the mind. It's not for him, is it? He's only actually playing, in theory, half the event. Um, I, and I, I rate his chances. I did anyway. I thought before even the draw was made, Karen Wilson is sort of made for the longer matches. You know, he's been to semi-finals here before. He's got that sort of Selby quality to to win the bad frames as well which you need to win in such a long event so now that he's actually you know refreshed and not having played the first round I think it's got to be an advantage well, one man that did play in the first round and won in the first round was Judd Trump. And he had to really battle because he came from 5-2 down to beat Tom Ford. Tough opening title defence, uh, his first round. He also joined Neil Robertson as the second player to make 100 centuries in a season. And we can hear from the defending champion now. It was nice to have some kind of crowd out there. It'd be the only, sort of, the only day that gets to experience yeah. that. So it was nice to walk in with that, but... Tom had me really. He, he'd be very disappointed with that with that result. He he missed a, a pink off the spot, I think, to go six three. And from then on, I, I always had the belief that I was going to get back into it, even though I still threw a, a, a few frames away tonight. I always felt like I had a little bit up my sleeve, and I was just able to sort of pull out that that odd break here and there, and, and just sort of nick in front at the right time. One thing that I'm so glad that he wasn't denied was to walk down those steps as defending champion to a crowd. You know, that the fans were in, his family were there. So important, Neil. Yeah, and a great moment for anybody. And um, I I think 
He struggled in that match overall, you know. He was 3-0 down. He looked like a little bit of a fish out of water. He was struggling, a very different scenario. It's always, I guess, a bit of an anticlimax coming back the year after, after all the glories. In this case, 15 months later, no crowd or a very sparse crowd only allowed in. And I think he ended up doing quite well to win, you know, because at 5-2, he should really have been 7-2 down, at worst 6-3. But in, in the night session, he knuckled down and... You know, I think he'll be a better player for it. He's got this interesting record that not only at the Crucible, but in a lot of the tournaments he's done well in, he hasn't necessarily started well, but if he can weather the storm and get through matches, as the tournament goes on, he gets better, and that is the mark of a champion. Yeah, definitely. There's always going to be a sticky match, and for Judd, so often there can be sticky, tricky first-round matches, Dave. Absolutely, and I think the thing, you know, it's an experience he's never had before, being defending world champion. He wouldn't know how he would feel in that position until he was in it. He's had all the talk about the crucible curse and all that, you know, for for over a year, plus the months where, you know, we've been building up to this event. And he did look unsettled early on. I think Tom Ford missed the boat in the first session. He he should have been further than 5-4 in front. Trump, in the end, played pretty well in the evening session you know his long potting was there and uh, you know he's carrying on the great run and now that he's in the second round and the matches get longer you know you could see him relaxing and starting to actually find his best game again yeah and um, I think all Judd Trump fans all snooker fans want him to, to find that again because he's just so great to watch yeah and I think we want to get rid of this Crucible curse stuff, don't we? we want I, to just thought, in- I thought we might get through this podcast without mentioning <laughs> the curse word because I'm done with it now. Yeah, and um, and we all are. So let's hope Judd wins it, and, and that's the end of the matter. But yeah, but the the fact is, you know, it is just very difficult to win it again, having won it for the first time. I mean, when you think that you know the greats of the game, O'Sullivan, both Higgins. And then you're talking about Hendry and Davis. None of them have done it. So I think he is the best player in the world. And, you know, perhaps he'll win it this year. And uh, we should, we're looking elsewhere for, for obvious reasons. But really, Are we? he's the man, we, we I think. We haven't actually had Dave's selection yet. Would you like me to unveil it oh, now, Rachel? No, 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 no. no. We're not going to let that cat out of the bag just yet. Uh, right, we, of course, saw the defending champion through. He will have joined Kyron Wilson, however he, he got there, of course. It doesn't matter to him now. He's into the uh, last 16. And Ding Jean Wee, well, what a match we saw today. Dave, you were commentating on the deciding frame. It went all the way. What a great performance from Mark King. Seven years since he played at the Crucible. And Ding Jean Wee as well. Yeah, Mark King, you know, makes it difficult. He's a stubborn opponent. He seemed to win pretty much all the scrappy frames. Ding made three centuries. He was winning the free-flowing frames. It was an unbelievable finish. Uh, But credit to Ding, you know, his head never dropped. He's made a real effort to play in this World Championship. You know, he's had to come from China, all the new protocols and regulations. Quite a few Chinese players didn't enter the qualifiers. It would have been far worse for the event if he wasn't in it, because obviously he's their number one. He's a superstar. So he's made the long journey, and in the first round he's got his result. Uh, he knocked in a great last red actually cued it so well considering all the pressure and there was pressure you know we talk about no audience but you could see they were both feeling it a uh, real battling win yeah I was very impressed with him actually he was excellent and I remember when he won the UK championship Neely said to me ding is back and I thought wow I'm I'm so delighted and I hope that will be the case because before you York and the UK championship he had no form 
Well, I actually think that was the biggest shock of the season that we've seen so far. Ding winning the UK Championship. We know he's a great player and he'd won it before. But before that, he, he couldn't win an argument. And afterwards, he kept losing to Scott Donaldson. I mean, three tournaments in a row. Good player, don't get me wrong. But so he's almost gone back to how he was before he won the UK Championship. You know, his crucible record is interesting. He first played there in 2007. He's never missed a year. He's never, he hasn't lost in the first round since he lost to Michael Wosley in 2014. Probably one of the biggest shocks we we've ever out, seen. Can we just point out for all? listeners, Neil Foles literally walks around with the almanac under his arm here. He's like that man who carries the nuclear codes for Donald Trump. He's always got it on him. He has to have him on it all the time. Sorry, Sorry, Neil, continue. No, I mean, I think that there's been a lot of expectation over the years on Ding winning the World Championship. I've thought he'll win it and then I've had spells where I think he may never win it. But of course, this year he's still there. Who knows? Maybe these circumstances of no crowds, maybe in some way that'll suit him. I just don't know. He's got the ability. No one could ever doubt that. He's been in one final at the moment. Jimmy's record of six finals is by far a better one. But if Ding wins, then immediately he supersedes that, doesn't he? I just think this year, again, with the special circumstances, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, right, I'm coming here fully determined to win this tournament. You know, he's made the effort. He didn't have to come. There have been other years where if he's lost early, okay, I can just go home. It's different now. So maybe this sort of unique situation we're in, in a funny sort of way, will help him. We'll see. I mean, he only just won. We should say that. But the point is, he did win. Mm. He's a great guy. Um, one thing you know, he's you can read him straight away when he comes in. You know whether he's up for it or not. And sometimes he has in the past, whether it be the Worlds or, or any other tournament. You kind of think, well, are you, are you really wanting this? Do you want to be here? Exactly. And, and the thing is, in the World Championship, I mean, snooker's a difficult game. Things can go wrong in any tournament, but they will do in this event because it's just so many frames, so many matches. And yeah, his head at times has dropped. But that's what I'm saying. I think the fact that he's you know made this extra effort to come, maybe that won't happen. It didn't happen against Mark King. You know, there were some frames there Ding would not have enjoyed, frames that he lost the last two before the decider, for example. But, you know, he, he held his head up in the decider and he won it. He certainly did. And he, he won it well in the end because he's had to just keep the bottle more than anything else. Uh, commiserations to Mark King. Ding Jean Wee through. And um, we also saw Stuart Bingham beat Ashley Carty, both with and without a crowd. The uh, former 2015 champion, Stuart Bingham, experiencing both elements at the Crucible. Um, it was a bit weird, yeah, yesterday. Um, so even coming back from the interval, you normally get a round of applause just coming out and there was nothing and it just felt really, say, really weird. But uh, sort of, yeah, today it just felt like maybe probably a practice session. Um, I say that's maybe probably what I played. Played pretty well this morning. Good matches coming up. Sort of, uh, I'll, I'll be on the... F- on the chair watching old Ronnie and, and Tepcha I look forward to that but uh, yeah it's obviously a load of good matches left and uh, say hopefully a, a good run Well like all of us he's going to be looking forward to Ronnie O'Sullivan and Tepcha anew he's at home I actually chatted to him on the phone he was on his way back to Basildon and he said that well the whole set up in Sheffield you know with no fans the city was different it was eerie and usually he would actually stay up but he decided to go back home it's a good point he makes about not just inside the Crucible, but all around as well. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the fans make their sort of pilgrimage every year and the whole city embraces the championship. It's worth a lot of money normally to, to Sheffield in terms of all the people who come in, the hotels, the bars, the restaurants and so on, particularly the bars, by the way. Um, so, yeah, it, I can understand why... He, you're looking at me there, Dave. Not, not casting aspersions <laughs> on anyone, Rachel. Uh, but, yeah, I can understand why, in a funny sort of way, you actually wouldn't want to be there if he's not playing because it, it's a little bit sad, isn't it, the fact that you don't have that going on around 
around it. We've got the tournament, which is brilliant, but the, the fan element, sadly, is not there this year, and it slightly detracts from the experience, I guess, as being a player there. Mm. It's really sad, and um, Steve Davis said that if they don't go to the snooker, they'll just pop down uh, to the pub, and I think that's an example of the, the difficult and different trade-off uh, that we're seeing in society. Obviously, there's no buzz with fans at the Crucible, but there are people that will see you know, families, friends going to the beach, going to the pubs, all of that, and yet we can't get into the snooker. So you can you can see both sides, right? Well, that's true. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how long we can continue like this with, uh, you know, a lack of fans in, in all sport, really, not only snooker. Clearly, there will be a, a continuation of this. There will be certain venues, perhaps, that we won't really enjoy playing at without a crowd. I mean, getting into that subject now, I can't imagine the Masters. Without a crowd, how will that work? You know, what about the shootout as well. Well, the shootout, yeah. I mean, well, the shootout shows no chance without a crowd. Surely. Well, I, I don't know because I think in darts they have played some darts tournaments in front of no crowd, and there's that same sort of um, shootout like feel going on. But I was thinking more about the more serious events like the Masters. You um, know, the, way... the shootout is a ranking tournament. Mm. I've... Michael Holt might be listening. By the way, <laughs> he won a ranking event. He, no, he did. He did. But I think you kind of know what I'm saying. In that the Masters, they've they've upgraded the Masters. All the hospitality. It was a great success. You know, when they played it earlier this year. Of course, before all this happened. And now, you know, can we really imagine going to the Ali Pali in front of nobody and playing a tournament? You well, know, maybe we're going to have to. But I tell you what, at some point, uh, you can understand why they tried to get spectators back into this game, because. Really, snooker's about the fans, not only on the TV, but the, the fans that can come in. And some tournaments will be affected more than others. And I think the Masters would be a very difficult tournament to run. It will be run, and I hope it is. But it's going to be tough with nobody there if that's where we are. Well, it'll be a very sad situation. But I think, you know, looking from a commercial point of view, how long can the game survive, Dave, do you think, without fans? Well, I think that's why we're lucky to have Barry Hearn because he's obviously got the, the Matchroom Empire, uh, which is worth a lot of money. Um, I think there was a time when snooker would have been in very serious financial trouble. The World Championship itself, in terms of ticket sales, is worth over two million. So I mean, it's, it is a lot of money. But obviously, there's also uh, broadcast right, rights fees as well. And Barry's a very clever businessman. You know, he, he got the Championship League on, which he sold to a broadcaster. He'll be looking, I think, to plug the gaps maybe with new tournaments. I think the calendar will will be full and he's trying to uh, essentially sort of tread water um, until such a time as we can get the fans back in we don't know when that's going to be he's done his best with this it hasn't worked but he will try he will find an angle you can guarantee that to try and bring money into the game and talking of finding an angle Bingham will play the winner of Mark Williams and Alan McManus yeah, and of course that's an interesting game you know are we going to see a clash between two world champions if it's Williams. Um, I think Stuart Bingham is a bit of a dark horse. He hasn't really figured on many people's radars this year. You know, he's getting on in years a little bit. You know, he's mid-40s now, but he's won this before. And when he won it last time, no one spoke about him winning it. And he's capable. So, you know, he would fancy his chances there, whoever won that match, I should think. And people were chatting about Ding being, um, I don't mean to say awful, but he was pretty bad before he won the UK Championship. And I think Stuart would agree before he won the Masters, he had no form. Exactly. I mean, Joe Johnson, our colleague, you know, will tell you, you have to find inspiration during the event. Joe wasn't 
tipped to win in 1986. He just played the snooker of his life at the tournament. And someone will do that here and they'll be the winner. Sometimes it is the form player. It was with Judd Trump. It was actually with Mark Williams two years ago. But sometimes someone will just find it and they'll get a bit of luck when they need it. And suddenly there they are in the final. I mean, you know, John Higgins, for example, always seems to go there without any form and always seems to end up in the final. Yeah, and I think the, the, the final point I would make on it, I think I mentioned it the other day, but the key to this tournament is the second week. Now, obviously, you've got to be in the second week by, by getting through your first round. But Bingham started that year. He didn't play very well. He beat Robbie Williams. He didn't. I think he had a bit of a touch of the uh, of a cold or something that uh, in 2015. Then he played Graham Dot. No one fancied him an inch. And then all of a sudden, the second week, he started to play brilliantly. Joe was the same when he won in all the great champions. And, of course, one of the reasons John Higgins has been so powerful over the years is he's done that. And many a player like Neil Robertson last year, the first week, he looked sensational. But you can't keep playing like that. So it's all about players emerging in that second week and playing their best. And, uh, you know, there are certain players who are very adept at doing that. We're recording this episode after the afternoon session on Saturday, so make sure you check out Eurosport.com for details of what happened between those two, Mark Williams and Alan McManus, and of course up for grabs a place in the last 16 against uh, Stuart Bingham. Very quick thoughts uh, on these matches after one session. John Higgins, six. Matthew Stevens three. I'll come to Dave on this one. Yeah, I mean, Higgins, as I say, he's been in the last three finals. He's won it four times. He's been in eight finals in total. He seemed to play well. It was a quick match. I thought it might get a bit bogged down. It seemed very fluent. I expect him to come through tomorrow. And Neil, you're on commentary in the first session against uh, Dave Gilbert and uh, Kurt Mafflin, and he holds a slender advantage. Yeah, Mafflin's a very good player. Jimmy White spoke very warmly about his chances this year as an outsider. I hadn't thought of him as a possible winner. I know he's a good player, and he reminded us today, he started with a century. David Gilbert finished with a century. It's a very attractive game. And the thing about that is that Gilbert seems to lose all the close matches in the World Championships. Maybe this year will be different. But that is a, a good session. I'm looking forward to who wins that one. Who will win that one? Do you think, Dave? Possibly Dave Gilbert will come through in the end. You know, semi-finalist last year. It's interesting, people are talking Kurt Mafflin up. He's, you know, he's only ever played there once before. He didn't win the match. And he's not really threatened to win any big tournaments. So for people to be tipping him as an outsider, that's quite a tip. Um, I just get the feeling Gilbert, you know, has got better general form. Could be close, though. Absolutely. And what a... What a an emotional ride he had last year. I remember him coming in um, after he lost that semi-final and he's bawling. <laughs> Just the tears. And you know, and that's what it does to you. Everyone was crying, weren't they? Rob Walker was crying. He was interviewing him. The, the, some of the people in the office backstage were crying. It was a river of tears running through the crucible. But yeah, I mean, the point is the semi-finals, they're three days long, aren't they? Four sessions. He put absolutely everything into what would have been the biggest win of his career. And he lost in a decider and he was a bit unlucky. He got a kick and all the rest of it. And he's quite an emotional guy anyway, Dave. You know, quite honest. You know, he's from part of the world where everyone is sort of like that. And yeah, you know, the, the, the tears started and they threatened to, to never stop. <laughs> Oh, bless him. He's, he's an absolutely wonderful chap and he's just a cool dude, usually. <laughs> so let's have a look at some of the matches starting between now and our next episode. We've got uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Tep Chai Anu. And listening to uh, Tep Chai Anu when he was saying, I just don't fancy uh, Judd Trump or anyone but Judd Trump. OK, then uh, you can have Ronnie O'Sullivan instead. 
Yeah, I mean, it's true to say there's no easy matches when you qualify, but he's qualified now three times. He's drawn John Higgins, Judd Trump and Ronnie O'Sullivan three years running. So that's pretty bad luck. It's interesting that while we were commentating on the Ding match, they actually put up pictures of Ronnie practising backstage. And I just thought how great it is to see him there. You know, he's such a, obviously such a legend of the sport. He just brings so much to it. He looked chilled out. He was wearing his shorts. It's a very hot day, as we know. Um... You know, he's actually breaking a record this year for most successive appearances there, 28 appearances. He's a, he's a veteran, actually, but he's also one of the favourites. You know, years ago, when, the, when you had a 44-year-old playing, they were sort of on the way out. But actually, you know, he could still win it. Of course he could. That's, uh, dare I say, the new normal when it comes to snooker. You know, uh, there's no barrier now in terms of age, is there, Neil? No, there isn't. And um, I think that clearly he's as, probably as good as ever. We've seen one or two little signs, I think, this season where I wonder he's Mr. Black off the spot here or there against Kyron Wilson in the Welsh. Just things that stick in your mind. But he's got an interesting draw. I mean, he's playing Tepshire, as we know. The winner plays Ding Junhui. So work that one out. Ding beat him when they met here a little while ago. Very interesting section of the draw, which Ronnie is no certainty to progress. Ronnie and Tep Chai knew they've only played each other once. Uh, memorable, but forgettable in terms of the importance of that match. It was a qualifier, I think, in Barnsley for the German Masters. Ronnie didn't want to be there to the extent that he actually turned up wearing his coat in the arena, which he slung under the table and thought, <laughs> OK, let's get on with it. They both went for everything because that's how they both play. They're the two quickest players on the circuit. He, he, he didn't win, but he kind of didn't play it properly, did he, the match? The sad thing about that was actually it was for the German Masters, wasn't it? And that's such a great crowd over there. They deserve O'Sullivan and a few others to be playing in it. But the fact is, those qualifiers don't meet with everyone's approval. It's definitely not Ronnie's on the strength of that match. And he doesn't play in the tournament anymore, but I think he'd love to play at the Tempodrome. Um, this is a different story. Uh, I don't uh, expect to see that. There's a good chance he'll probably have his coat off before he... <laughs> well, he won't be wearing it in this weather anyway. <laughs> uh, cannot wait for that. It's going to be absolutely exhilarating, I think, the, uh, the two speeds and then we get on to uh, Neil Robertson who faces uh, Liang Wembo um, head to heads and all that look at Robertson leads but I think that might just be paling into insignificance uh, considering how tough Liang Wembo had to be to get through that uh, last match with Fergal um, O'Brien and he, he must be pumped coming in here yeah, he's a very hard player to play, I think. He's very expressive, you know, he, he, he's excitable. Neil Robertson's a bit more sort of sober, as, a, as indeed is Fergal O'Brien. Uh, but because Robertson did beat him in the UK final, and he's always confident, Neil. He's always confident of beating anyone, I think. He put up a little thing on social media today of him going in with his mask and everything. I think he'll be looking forward to it. He said one very interesting thing, actually. He said, when I won it 10 years ago, my mother came and my father didn't. And every year since, I've flown my dad out. And it's kind of put more pressure on me because he wants to him to see him win the title he hasn't been able to come this year for obvious reasons maybe that'll be a factor who knows he has said to me in the past after winning it he was just you know on a, on a different planet in, in terms of the, the satisfaction of winning the world championship but he said that every time he went back there he's he's tried so hard because he wanted to taste success again and he's just been left disappointed. Yeah, but last year he looked the winner. I mean, as I said earlier on, the first week he looked the man to beat and uh, his game didn't last out. Of course he can win the world title. I do think it's a, a, a difficult game for him. You mentioned, Dave, that it's the repeat of the 2015 UK final. I don't know how many times that's happened that uh, players would meet at the Crucible having met in a, in a big final like that. But I think that 
that's one of the most difficult draws he could have had and um, and he has been a bit vulnerable in this round before to Rob Milkins a couple of times who knows who knows he's enjoyed another excellent season that's Neil Robertson facing Liang Wembo on Sunday Mark Selby who won it three times in, in four years he'll play Jordan Brown one of five debutants Dave Absolutely. I'm really happy to see Jordan qualifying. We, again, at the qualifiers, had a few chats with him. He was very excited the whole week just to be playing. Uh, he was on the tour years ago in the days before they had the two-year card, and there was only six tournaments. He, he didn't have a good season, dropped off, ended up working in a petrol station. You know, he looked like he'd sort of gone away from snooker. I think Mark Allen's success helped him sort of come back. They practiced together. He's improved a lot. And whatever happens, you know, win or lose against Selby, whatever happens, he, he will have played at the Crucible. And I think that will mean a lot to him. I think it's a bad draw for Jordan Brown. I, I think if you could play anybody at the Crucible, you would like to play maybe someone in the lower reaches of the top 16, or you might want to play O'Sullivan or Trump. But playing Selby, that's as tough as anybody. So I hope he enjoys the occasion. He might not win. He might not win, but he'll give it a good go. We know how happy he is to be there. Mark Selby, such an incredible competitor when it comes to the World Championship. Now, Sean Murphy, he's got to be a big, big player. He plays uh, Nopon Sangham, second appearance at the Crucible. You know, he's an absolute joy of a guy, isn't he? And uh, he'll be really fancying the, the moment, the opportunity. But Sean has had a very, very good season once again. He has, yes. Obviously, recently, it's been very sad for him because his friend and manager, Brandon Parker, passed away. And, you know, he's just been to his funeral. So in terms of how he's feeling coming in, it can work one of two ways. You know, when Dennis Taylor won his first ranking event, the Grand Prix, he pulled out the previous event because his mother had passed away. But he found that he was actually playing on inspiration going to the Grand Prix and he won it and then went on to win the world title at the end of that season. Um, he's in a very tough section. You know, you've got Selby and Robertson and Hawkins in that section. In terms of Nop and Senkarm, though, over the distance, over the 19-frame distance, I would personally fancy Murphy quite strongly. Yeah, I think so. Um, I like Sankam's game. He's a big improver, I think, in the middle reaches of the ranking list. Um, last year, you know, I, I looked at the match Murphy had where he had Lu Hong Hao, looked a tough game, went on and uh, won 10-0 Murphy, only the second while wash at the Crucible. So the likelihood is if Murphy's state of mind is good, and I certainly hope it is after what's happened that Dave mentioned, that he'll come through. And he's another one. I know it's a long shortlist, but he's on there somewhere. He will be starting out on Monday on Eurosport and Neela said on the first episode of the break that uh, he fancies an upset. Uh, Jack Lazowski, he thinks Anthony McGill, after coming through qualifying, could be the one to win that match. Well, I've actually tipped McGill to reach the semi-finals, which is possibly a good reason why he won't. But I actually like the look of Anthony. I remember years ago when he qualified for the first time, 2015, and Alan McManus also qualified, and they know each other very well. Alan's mentored him. And he said, and Alan does not make statements that he doesn't believe in, he said, one day... Anthony McGill will be world champion. Now, that remains to be seen. But the point he was making is that his personality sort of fits the crucible. He, you know, he's quite an introverted guy, Anthony, but look at the people who've won this title, Davis and Hendry and those sort of guys. You know, they're the same. And, you know, he played very well in the qualifiers, came through the last round very comfortably. Uh, Jack Lazowski, we love watching him. We, we like Jack a lot. But, you know, we know what sort of game he's going to play. He goes for everything. And if they don't go in, McGill is more than capable of taking advantage. Well, Neil, you've already said that um, Anthony's going to be a big, big player this year. 
Yeah, I mean, he's gone, Dave's gone big saying he's going to make the semi-finals. He's got to go big nil. It's I'm a not, world championship. I'm not going that far, but, um, <laughs> you know, look, he, he's a good player and I think he's starting to play well again after a couple of years when, I must admit, that go back a year, we were wondering what has happened to him because he was dropping down a little bit in the same way that Michael White has now, he's actually gone off the They're tour, kind of both he? players um, that you want to see do well. You know, Anthony, is, he's so talented, he's, 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 he's a class player, but he did have that dip and you kind of want them to come back and, and to prove themselves. And equally, Jack Lazowski, you know, I think he's just such a brilliant guy, great player, and everyone kind of wants him to to progress and to do it and finally lift a trophy. The weird thing is, like, he, he, I think he does get nervous in matches, and that is an issue maybe. Most chilled out bloke you'll ever meet when he's not playing. I did a, a frame of commentary with him at the shootout, and he literally dropped the mic at the end. He just got up, dropped the <laughs> mic, see you later sort of thing. So actually when he's not playing, he's fine. But obviously when you get out there, you know, the nerves sort of, you know, they, they, they gather. Uh, yeah, look, if Jack Lazowski had a run in the tournament, that'd be mm. fantastic for the World Championship. He's got to cut out the elementary errors, though, and he's got to believe in himself as well. You know, I, when he played in the Masters for the first time, he looked a bag of nerves almost as if he thought he shouldn't be there. You know, that's not the attitude. You've got to go in, almost fool yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm the best player here. Why not just tell yourself that? I, I just hope both of them bring their very best in, in that match. And Yan Bing Tao and Elliot Slesser, we, we've got to have a, a word on this one as well. This will finish on Monday. Yan Bing Tao, the youngest player here. He is a seed, of course. Elliot Slesser, one of the rookies. He's had a, a big year. He's become a father for the first time. I've spent a lot of time with the baby, obviously, during the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see guys like that. You know, they've been slogging out. You know, you do the Home Nations, um, Rachel, and they're always sort of on table six or seven. You don't really see them unless they play a top player on table one. Mm-hmm. Now this is their chance. It's a chance to show everyone, by the way, I am a snooker professional. I wasn't making it up. Here I am mm-hmm. on the television. I'm live on Eurosport at the World Championship. Chance for them to make their mark. And, you know, he's got a chance against Yan Bing Tao, who's done really well to get in the top 16, but blows a little hot and cold, I think. And he didn't have to um, go back to China, of course. He didn't have that travel travel restrictions, problems and, and all of that. He's been in Sheffield. Yeah, he's got no record at the Crucible to speak of. Played there once as a qualifier, uh, lost. So he's a seeded player. It's quite an unusual position to be in that, isn't it? Someone who, you know, has not really done anything at the Crucible. I mean, Luca Brussel went down that route, didn't he? You know, he still never won a match there and he's come in as a seed. So that's kind of against him a little bit. That's not a certainty that he'll beat Slesser because he was quite impressive in qualifying. And then the reward is uh, Judd Trump, isn't it? Well, it's quite a reward, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's a good match to look forward to. Um, I guess neither of them, neither Yambing Tao nor Slesser, would have played a best of 25, certainly as professionals. So that's something different. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's something to, to look forward to, definitely. And, you know, I'm going to mention the Crucible curse again, because you, you said not to. It's, uh, it's, <gasps> I was so happy to have Dave on the podcast. I don't think we can have him on again. Well, well, they get their name in the almanac. If they beat Trump, then they have inflicted the curse on him, you see. What well, more motivation uh, well, do you need? I was just going to say the, the rewards. The rewards of that, Neil. Yeah, and of course there are trivia questions which we're not going to go into. But, uh, you know, who has been the, uh, on the wrong end of the curse and has inflicted the curse? On somebody else, you see, that's the question. This is dark stuff now, isn't it? Is it is dark yeah. stuff, but, um, you know, Judd doesn't want to be a part of that because he beat Neil Robertson and, and Steve Davis has been on both ends of it, hasn't he? So this is real dark information. It's out there, but we're, you're going to have to find it. It's out there. Who has been the wrong end of the curse and has cursed somebody else by beating the first time? I just wonder, can you add cursing? Just <laughs> I've said it enough. <laughs> right, predict the winner time. Jimmy White, uh, on the first episode, he 
surprise, surprise, went with Ronnie O'Sullivan. Neil also went uh, with The Rocket and I was forced into a selection. I never really liked to get involved in that. But listen, I went with, with Mark Allen. Dave, your choice uh, to be crowned 2020 world champion? Yeah, my choice is Mark Selby. I, and I've told a few people this and they look at me as if I've sort of gone a little bit mad because Selby has gone walkabout a little bit in the big events. You know, he's won obviously two Home Nations events this season, although they seem a long time ago, all of that, doesn't it? The last one was just before Christmas. But here's two things I would say. Firstly, he's won three of the last six World Championships, you know, so we know he can last the course there. And secondly, if the argument is that he's got no form, then what is the argument for tipping Ronnie O'Sullivan? Because Ronnie O'Sullivan hasn't won a ranking event. Are you having a go at Jimmy and Neil now? What I'm going to say is Ronnie (laughs) O'Sullivan hasn't won a ranking event for 16 months. He's shown not a lot of form this season. Why would he be a tip over Selby, who, of course, beat him in the final six years ago since when... Ronnie's not even been in the one table at the Crucible. He struggled there. He's actually struggled to play there. So, as you tipped him, Neil, why is Ronnie a better tip than Mark Selby? Well, no, it's not that. What I'm saying is you tip somebody, and that's fine, but you don't have to um, rubbish someone else's tip. They're both good players. I mean, I'm, I think Ronnie, but I think Selby could also win it. So, he's no, but, not battling one against the other. They're all good. Well, Embrace they, it. Well, they, it may be against each other because they could play in the semis. But what I'm saying is, if the argument against Selby is, oh, well, he's got no form... Well, what form has Ronnie got? Listen, I, I, I don't not necessarily fancying Selby to win it this year, but he's, he's got a chance, hasn't he? You're right. He, he is the consummate match player, and he's another player that maybe doesn't come into it this year with the pressure he's experienced before, you know. And I don't think his form has been that great since the year that Joe Perry beat him on the opening day. So he was the victim of that, which not part of the curse, but it was still, you know, day one losing as a champion. It hurts, doesn't it? A few people have experienced that. What I would say is he's in a horrible section. He's in the worst section to be in. He's got Murphy, he's got Robertson, he's got Hawkins. But as I say, Mark Selby, you know, he's won it three times. Let's not forget that. He's won it three times since Ronnie O'Sullivan last won it. So it'd be fascinating if they did play in the semis, who came through. And just briefly on that, very briefly, uh, obviously Ronnie's form has never been quite the same since he lost in that final to Selby. So. Oh, definitely. I mean, that, is, that was the key moment for, for both of them. Obviously Selby winning the tournament and Ronnie every year since. You know, he was the best player there for 16 days and he lost on the 17th. And it put in his mind the idea that you can put all that effort in and not win the World Championship. And every year since, you know, he struggled there. He lost first round last year. Well, so. he said he preferred to lose in the first round than to lose in the final. Exactly. And also the way Selby played, you know, it's not to his taste. He actually said, I didn't enjoy watching him play. So, yeah, it's a fascinating rivalry. I hope they meet in the semis. That'd be a great match. But I'm going to stick with Mark Selby. Okay, right. And um, before I have to split them up, I'll say thanks to uh, to Dave Hendon and to Neil Foles. And that is it for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Break. Please subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice if you can. It would make our day. Don't forget it's Eurosport and Eurosport.com to watch the World Snooker Championship until the 16th of August. We'll be back with more in a couple of days' time. But until then, from Dave, Neil and myself, it's goodbye and thanks for listening.